0: All right, good morning, everybody. John Stewart's gonna give me a hand here at my table. Hey, if you're visiting us, we are in a series called Establish where we're teaching through our nine elements. And today, obviously, is the element of generations and uh, we're excited to get to show off your kids, our kids. And um, I was, as I was here this morning, I remembered the first time I ever gave a sermon. I've been preaching now for almost 20 years I was 17 years old in my church, and they were crazy enough to say, Brian, we want you to share a message. It was the first time I actually put on a coat, and that's the last time I'll ever preach in a coat, by the way. But uh, it's very important that our kids know that we believe in them, and it's important for your kids to know that I believe in them, and for my kids to know that you believe in them. And uh, when we have Sundays like this, that's what happens. Psalm 145, verse 4 comes to mind. It says, one generation commends your works to another, they tell of your mighty acts. Isn't that what happened just a moment ago, and it happens here all the time? So I want to get into this element here in a moment, and I want to talk to you about having a spiritual legacy and passing something on to the generations behind us, but I want to start by getting you to think about the DNA that is inside of you, because we're going to make the connection to spiritual DNA here in a moment. How many of you, just by show of hands, have actually paid to do one of those DNA ancestry tests? Raise your hand. So, ancestry.com or 23andMe. All right, I just gave you a great gift idea for your parents at Christmas, okay? So a few years ago, my brothers and I, we paid for my parents to be able to do their DNA test, and uh, you, they have to you know do the thing, and they send it in, and uh, it comes back, and it tells you the percentage of certain uh, nationalities that you have in you, and where your family is from, and so it gives you all kinds of just interesting information, and for the most part, Most of the things that people see are the things that they know about themselves, but there's always a few surprises. And so, for example, my mom, my mom, uh, one of her sides is the Eisenhower side. That's certainly a German, uh, comes from a German heritage. But she found out that a lot of her blood comes from southeastern Europe and the area that was a former Yugoslavia and that area. My dad is, of course, a Carlucci. His father was full-blooded Italian, and so we always believed that my dad was half Italian, which would make me and my brothers a quarter Italian. And I know, I don't look like it, I've, I'm a disgrace. I'm the first non-black-haired Carlucci to ever be born. And so, I can thank my mother and the, the German side for that. But the results came back, and we were surprised to find out that my dad's mother, who we didn't think had any Italian blood, does have some Italian blood in her, and so that made my dad very proud. Because he wasn't just half Italian, he was now majority Italian, 60%, which makes me 30%. And so I began to trace some of my ancestors, and that 30% Italian blood that runs through my veins makes me a relative of this guy. You can see him behind me. (laughs) 23 and me verified it. And 30% Italian makes you a close cousin of this guy. (laughs) And I always knew it. My brothers and I always knew it. Italian stallion ran through our blood. And so so it's a fun, fun thing to do, where you come from, right? So we're connected through the generations. History is connected. The Italian blood of the Carlucci's and the Fuco family runs through my blood. The German and Austrian blood of the Markoviches and Eisenhower's runs through my blood and into my kids. Along with all of Elise's ancestry that runs through our children. But there's more to life that connects us through the the generations than our DNA and our blood. Uh, What happens is certain traits connect us. Generations pass on qualities and belief systems and thoughts and ways of living and ways of dealing with conflict. Some are unhealthy and some are healthy. Pete Scazzaro, who's an author we like to read here at Cornerstone, he writes a lot on emotional health. If you haven't read any of his books, we really encourage it. He has a great quote, that sums it up. He says, Jesus may be in your heart as a Christian, but grandpa is in your bones. And the task of discipleship is to get Jesus more and more into your bones. So families can pass on certain things, addictive behaviors, negative relational traits, certain traits that um, can harm us in life. They can also pass on deep, deep legacies. Over the years, as a preacher, one of the my favorite preachers to read from the past is a guy named Jonathan Edwards. I lived at a different time and it, it was a wild time, you know. But Jonathan Edwards is one of the most famous, influential people in American history, not just as a preacher, but a leader, and he influenced politics and business and the establishment of, of this country. And around the turn of the 20th century, so right around 1900, a pastor and historian decided that he would trace the descendants of Jonathan Edwards. Now, here's the thing you need to know before I tell you about all his descendants. And this is just as of 1900. So, of course, it's larger now. But Jonathan Edwards had a message over and over again that he shared with his church and his family and those spiritual sons and daughters that were under him. And this was his message. Uh, As a Christian, we are meant to be involved in every area of life, bringing salt and light, affecting culture, loving the world around us. We are not meant to withdraw. Isn't that a common Christian message? We're meant to hide and withdraw. Edwards said, no, we're meant to be engaged. Now listen to his legacy as of 100 years ago. Okay, so these are just some of his descendants 150 years after his death. He had one U.S. vice president, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 missionaries. In his family tree, 150 years after his death. Something he gave his children was passed on to their children. And to their children. So here's a question I have for you as we begin to think about generations and leaving a legacy. Who is it that you are pouring into? And what is it that you are pouring into their life? Now this doesn't just have to be your Uh, your, Your biological families We will certainly see here in a moment There's certain things as spiritual mothers and fathers But I want you to think about Who is it that you are pouring into You're giving them a little bit of yourself Hopefully the best of yourself Hopefully the part of Jesus That's living inside of you That's maturing and growing Generations here at Cornerstone Means that we focus and pursue The next generation While honoring each generation So that's important for all of us to know because we all fall into a different place in the order of the generations. But we hear a lot today in the United States how faith seems to be dying or decreasing, right? That the younger generations more and more than the generation before them are turning from God. They're not a part of a community like this that's caring for them, nurturing them, a bunch of people that surround the kids and cheer them on. So there needs to be a pursuit and almost a preference for the next. And this is really a Jesus quality. Didn't Jesus always put other people ahead of himself? Jesus talked about children all the time because he knew they're not just the future, to quote certain cheesy songs, but there is a part of our faith that is meant to be passed on from generation to generation to generation. If you call yourself a Christian, you fall into a long chain, a long line of many generations of faithful people who passed something of faith onto you. And so now for a moment, I want you to think of the people in your life that have contributed to the love you have for God, or even if you don't have love for God yet, just an interest, the fact that you're even here in a church or listening at home might indicate an interest or a hunger. Who are those before you that have contributed to that? Each one of us falls into a long line of generations in terms of history. Isn't it true that the God of Jesus and the God, the Father God that we worship, is referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a God of generations? And notice, it's not just your kids; it's beyond that. It's the generations of people that you, you're in a family that you may not ever see or meet. I did a little work just looking back how many generations there are between this moment now and when Jesus lived. So if you have faith in Jesus, it's because someone along the way stewarded the story. They poured the life of Jesus into someone else and then poured it into someone else. But between now and the life of Jesus, there are 80 generations. And then if you go further back, from Jesus to David, there's 28 generations. And from David to Abraham, there's something like 13 or 14 generations. 120 generations of faith between us and that first person that God called to live a life of faith, Abraham. Faithful people have poured into other people so that we can be here. So that you can enjoy whatever it is about your faith that you get to enjoy. It's not just because you got lucky one day. It's because someone was poured into and they chose to pour into you. Faith is meant to be passed on in the context of family. So Elise and I are committed to this. Um, My mom was the first to teach me faith. My dad was not a Christian growing up. My mom was. My poor mom drugged me and my two brothers to church. We didn't want to go. But as often is the case, the Holy Spirit breaks through, and I realized this was real, and it meant something to me, and so it became a part of my life. I'm the first Carlucci Mill to faithfully walk with Jesus. I'm not the last. We're committed to helping our boys walk with Jesus. Faith is meant to be nurtured in family, but not everyone has a family like that. This is a family. A church is meant to be a spiritual family where the legacy of faith is passed on from one generation to another, where you look around and you see everyone pouring into someone else all the time. Because this is the context of family. And so I was very fortunate that there were faithful people at the Little Nazarene Church in Vista, Colorado, who knew that I needed some spiritual fathers when I was in middle school and high school. And I could give you several names of faithful men and women who poured into me. It's never wasted. I think a lot of people walk around with the, with the lie in their heart that says, what I do doesn't matter. Coffee with someone younger. Serving in a ministry. Sacrificing for certain things that are, are drawing kids into certain groups. These are all things God uses to leave a spiritual legacy. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 describes what spiritual mothers and fathers are like. It says, I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children, even if you had 10,000 guardians, or another version says countless advisors or many teachers in Jesus, you do not have many fathers in Messiah Jesus. I came to be your father through the gospel, therefore imitate me. Here's what Paul is saying. It's not enough to just have a bunch of teachers It's not enough to just have a lot of advisors. And this is helpful for young people today. Everyone needs spiritual mothers and fathers. Which means everyone at some point in their life, and I would say for the majority of your life, you're called to be a spiritual mother or father or big brother or big sister to someone else. So we all have this long family history there's more than just physical DNA running through us. There's spiritual DNA because faithful people have poured into someone else, that poured into someone else, that poured into someone else, and it made its way all the way to us. Right now, here in our country, there are six, depends how you count it, but there are six living generations. In our church, there are at least five of those generations represented today. That older generation's getting, it's harder and harder for them to make it out of the house, but there are five generations here. That's beautiful, but you know what else it does? It creates some conflict. There's a lot of different preference, right? We talk a lot here at Cornerstone how we're diverse spiritually, lots of different backgrounds. We're diverse politically. People come from different parts of the country. It seems like everyone in Boulder is from somewhere else, but we are diverse generationally. What holds us together? Because the music might not be your favorite. The words certain people use when they teach might not be your favorite. It might be trendy for the younger generations and not your favorite. Things change in churches if churches continue to live, and you might not love those changes. But what is it that keeps people together during those times when your preferences are being challenged except this calling to have a spiritual legacy in generations, to be the type of church and the type of person that pours into the next generation? And so with just a little bit of time I have left because the kids... Turned it into a much better day than I could have. I want to take you to Psalm 145. So I just read you a little bit of it in a moment. We announced the the majesty of God to the generations. But I want to show you four different ways that as people we can pour faith into someone else. Okay? So we're passing on many things all the time. But here are fourth ways, just right from the scriptures, that we can actually pass on faith, the life of Jesus into others, whether it's your own kids, your grandkids, your spiritual children, people you're mentoring, kids you're serving in this ministry, in this church, students that you're serving, college students that you're mentoring, all of these things, these are four ways. And so Psalm 145, I want to read verses 1 through 7 together. This is David. He said this. I will exalt you, my God, my King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of your glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. And then verse 7. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. So here are the four things. Let me point them out. First of all, there is a testimony from the past to share and pass on. There is a story of what God is doing that is meant to be shared. There are answers that are meant to be shared. And lastly, there are celebrations and traditions that are meant to be shared. So let's go through these quickly. The first one Passing on faith, pouring into someone else, means that you have a story of what God has done in the past, which we call this a testimony to share with other people. Psalm 71, verse 17 and 18 captures this. Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Notice that. Keep me alive until I can proclaim all of these good things to the next generation. That's the focus for David at the end of his life. And you know, we know who he's talking about. He's talking about the many children that he had, specifically Solomon, the son that would be the king that he wants to pass on a life of faith and the virtues of God and knowing God and all those things to him. He wants to share those stories. And so I think I can imagine David bringing Solomon in and telling him many stories of what God had done in his past. We need to share these stories. Uh, A few years ago, I was doing a a funeral for an older man that had passed away here at Cornerstone. And uh, it was sad and and really neat to get to share this with his daughter, but sad because she hadn't heard this story before, but I was glad to share it with her. At his funeral, I talked about the legacy of his family that he had shared with me. His last name was Garish. And Garish is one of the original um, New England colonists. Uh, They had many towns in New England are named after the Garish family. His particular family lived in New Hampshire. And over the years, they were a part of establishing many churches and helping start some of the greatest colleges in our country. But one of their favorite stories to tell in the family is how during um, the 19th century, their home and their well on their property was a stop on the Underground Railroad. And the family, including the kids, would go meet runaway slaves at certain spots in the forest along the way and lead them to the well where they could be provided safety that night and fed and given water before they would leave on their way to Canada. Isn't that an amazing story to pass on? We need to tell stories of what God has done, how God has used us, what God is, uh, what God's about, how he's used your family, how he's used a church. It's amazing. My boys love being with their Grandpa John. He tells them all kinds of crazy stories of what it was like to be a Marine in the 1970s during Vietnam. They are colorful stories. They're wild, sometimes violent stories, but he, the stories are amazing because that was the scene where this wild Marine bowed his heart to Jesus. Those stories of what God did in their grandpa's life, do you think it gives my boy strength today? Absolutely. Something was poured into them because a story was told. And so we tell testimonies. Here's the other thing we do. We talk about what God is doing. So we see it here in the passage where there's a mention of uh, that he meditates and shares what they're meditating on. This is meant to be an idea that there is something present in our faith that's meant to be shared in the moment. So here are a couple examples. Uh, A few years ago, we were gone on sabbatical. And one of the things I like to do on sabbatical is every morning... Before everyone's awake, I would get up and I would go for a run, not a very far one because I can't do very much of that, but like a three-mile run. And I would spend some time when I was running, praying and just being alone. It was a special time for me to be with the Lord. I'd come back home and read and our family would go do something. Well, our boys were little at the time and they knew that I was doing this day after day for, you know, we have a two-month sabbatical. And they started to ask, Dad, can we come with you? And my first answer was, no, you're going to ruin it. They have a wise mom that pulled me aside and said, no, you're taking them. So one at a time, I take the boys, and I said, here's the rule, though. You can't talk on the way to the park. That's a dad's time to be quiet and alone with the Lord, and I want you to be quiet and alone with the Lord. So this is an opportunity to teach my boys how to meditate on God. And So the older two followed the rules pretty well. Number three, he had a hard time not talking. But you know what I was sharing when I thought about it later? I'm sharing what God is doing in my life, presently. Over the years, I've been asked to disciple men, and there are certain things I like to talk about with guys. I like to talk to them about what true masculinity is. I like to talk about their relationships. I like to talk to them about big issues like money, and sex, and all those things. I also talk to him about just my own faith, and how over the years, I've kind of created my own, we call it a rule of life, it's your way of growth, and so I talk to him about the different streams of Christianity, and I don't teach them, I want to spend more time saying, this is how I'm practicing these things right now. This is how our family is caring for the poor right now. This is how our family is trying to live a spirit-filled, empowered life right now. Here's what that risk-taking looks like. It's important that we pass on what God is doing with others, not just the past. Okay, verse six, here's number three. We're meant to pass on certain answers, and the idea here is there is a certain degree of teaching that is involved in passing on a legacy and pouring into someone else. But I like how there's a mention of there's a questioning and there's an answer. Isn't the best time to teach anyone when they ask you a question? Rather than I've got something important to tell you, you don't know it's important, but I'm going to tell you. So we want to be close enough to people involved in their life that we're not just teaching all the time, but we're there to fill the questions that come and provide an answer. You can see Joshua chapter, I think it's chapter three, I don't have the reference here behind me, verse 21, or maybe it's verse four. Look what it says, he says, he said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what did these stones mean? Tell them that Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Here's the context. God performed a miracle, did something amazing. He stopped a river at flood stage, a big river at the time, stopped it so that people could walk right through on dry ground. And the Lord told Joshua and the elders to put these rocks together to build a monument so that when people asked, the future gener- generations asked, you could answer them. So there is a part of passing on faith that has to do with us being ready to answer questions of faith. And this is not easy. Why does God allow evil? Why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow good people to suffer? Why can't Christians agree? Why don't relationships always work out? how do you know there's a God? Those are tough questions, right? To be a person that's pouring into others doesn't mean you have to be an expert on all those things. I don't want to intimidate us. But it means we do our best to share what we know as answers to those questions. And by the way, here's a good answer to some of those questions. It's honest, and God uses it. It's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to say, I don't know. In fact, it's good for us in the evangelical stream of Christianity to not be so singular and think that we know the answer to every question. Because we certainly don't. It's okay to say, you know what, I wrestle with the same question. That's an answer. I wrestle with the same question about evil, but what I have seen is how God uses good to transform the world. So there are different ways that we can answer. So we pass it on by giving an answer. Testimony, talking about what God is doing, sharing answers. Here's the last one. We pass on faith, we pour into others by choosing certain things to celebrate and to remember. And so we, we talk a lot about this here at Cornerstone. We just got through the season where we celebrated some of the fall Jewish feasts. Why do we celebrate those feasts? Why do we celebrate the Christian holidays like Christmas and Easter in different seasons like Advent and Lent? The whole point of those things is to re-enter into a story that's bigger than us. It's to pause our calendar and to remember things that matter to God. So at Christmas, it's not just about eating and presents. We know that. We stop to remember how Jesus was sent to us in the most humble of ways. We celebrate Easter to remember that death doesn't have the final say. That someday there will be a resurrection of all things. And when God says I'm making all things new, you can count on it because one man rose from the dead. And so we remember and we celebrate. And those things are meant to be passed on. I love it when families have their own family tradition that they weave into the story of God. Because guess what kids do? They love it and they usually keep it and share it with other people. The only thing the Carlucci family has passed on in terms of stories is a bunch of food at least tell the last two generations, where we have the things of God to celebrate as a family. Exodus chapter 13 is a reference to this. Remember, right before they leave Egypt, before the Passover takes place, there's instructions. For seven days, eat bread made without feasts, and with the seventh day, hold a festival to the Lord. A party, a celebration and, you're, and it goes on to say you're to do it generation after generation after generation after generation. Traditions are powerful. Let me show you how powerful this particular tradition is. So this is called the Passover, right? Every spring, Jews around the world celebrate the Passover. Churches like ours celebrate the Passover in light of Jesus. We have seders. We have meals together. There's another tradition that was birthed from this tradition. So last week we did it here at Cornerstone. Jesus took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Communion, the Eucharist, is a celebration, a tradition that is birthed right from this tradition because when Jesus introduced it, it was at a Seder. And so let's not underestimate how important the celebrations are. We have parties here. Come to the parties. Celebrate the promises of God in your life. Teach those that are under you, whether it's spiritual children, grandchildren, physical children, grandchildren, all those things, that there are certain things in life that are, not meant, or that are meant not to be forgotten and meant to be celebrated. By the way, if you're married, this is something I think Elise and I could do a lot better. I was convicted of it this week. Our kids should learn to celebrate our anniversaries which I have parents and mother and father-in-laws to celebrate their anniversaries. What a gift, right? To honor marriage in our families. It's amazing. All right, Aaron, come on out. I'm, I'm gonna wrap up. I do wanna end with one last encouragement here. So there are a couple words that sum up what generations mean to us here at Cornerstone. One of those things is, um, is legacy. We're talking about that today, but there's another word that I didn't have time to get to, which is honor. Over and over again, when you see this teaching, especially in the New Testament, about interaction between older and younger generations, there's always a consistent message, honor. Honor the older generations. Honor the elders among you. There's even instruction about those that are older honoring and showing honor to younger generations. I think the reason this comes up all the time and why it's worth mentioning is because we live in such a culture that doesn't honor one another. We don't even honor ourselves. We constantly feel bad about how old we are. <laughs> we have nothing to offer. And we don't see the moments that God has us in, in terms of generations and our age, as something to, to, to enjoy him with, but also to offer to other, one, other people. One way to get out of that rut is that we begin to show more and more honor among the generations. Saying things like thank you, asking for advice, giving people time, notes, encouragement. These are all ways honor gets passed on. Just in the last week, our families had a tough thing going on. I received several notes, so did my family and my son particularly, from other people. They were showing him honor. And it makes a difference. It makes me so grateful that to be a part of a church that's not just full of people my own age, but other people that have the time. They look down and say, you know what? I know that young person's having a hard time, and I want to encourage them. None of this is profound until it is, until it touches your life. None of it's that profound until you look down the road several generations later and you see your children's children or three generations of people you've discipled beyond you living faithfully for the Lord and sharing the same thing with others. And then you say, oh, you know what? That seems to be what life really is about. This is why Jesus said some of his last words, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You know what disciples are? It's legacy. It's generations, one after another. And you know the sign of a disciple is that someone that reproduces themselves, meaning they pour their own life into somebody else. And so as a church this kind of thing doesn't grow and increase because your pastor stands up here and teaches on it one day or even because we have kids up here. It happens, it increases because we all say yes to it. And this has really been the message of all nine elements. How can we say yes more and more to these things that God is doing in our community? And so I wanna invite you to the quiet place of prayer and I just wanna give you a moment to reflect. So let's just bow our heads. Perhaps earlier you thought of the different people in your life that have poured into you. God's brought to mind the people that you're being asked to pour into. Let God speak to you about your legacy, the small things that make a difference, how he can use you. how are you stewarding the story of faith? The very old story of faith, but a very present and relevant story of faith today in other people's lives. And I want to end with this, whether you call yourself old or young, I want you to bless the people in your life that you're called to pour into. Just as you sit there, maybe it's a A child, a grandchild, maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's someone you've been mentoring for a while. Maybe it's a spiritual younger brother. Ask God to bless them. Ask God to move in their life. Ask God to reveal himself to them. Father, we live in a hurried world that's all about the moment, and we need reminded over and over again that this is a story that you're writing, and we are called to stand in this moment in time, and to steward your story, and to take what's been given to us and to pass it on to others. I pray we would hear the call of God to do so, and we ask for the Holy Spirit to move in our life. And then lastly, Lord, I pray that this church would be an environment, a community, that helps all of us to do that more. May this be a place of honor that moves in both directions. But may faith continue, may it be poured into the next for many years to come. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.